Go ahead and take a seat, please. Well, just a couple of housekeeping events as we get uh, started here. We were up at uh, teen camp this week and had a, a great time with the teens up there. Uh, Claire was there, Riley, Hannah, Caleb, and Elizabeth was a pre-camper. Now, because I don't remember and I don't want to skip, raise your hand if you managed to complete the 66, book, 66 books of the Bible challenge. Got two there. Brian's done it before. And we got some in the back who've done it, uh, see if they can still do it. So one of the things they have to do at teen camp is in a single breath, say all of the books of the Bible. Uh, and it's pretty impressive. I know Riley got to the, the, the final thing where you actually have to balance on this, like it's like a, uh, uh, what is it, like a round ball thing and you balance on a bench and you try to do it. Um, Riley's challenge is she giggles so much. It's hard to say the books of the Bible and try to save your life and giggle all at the same time. Um, but we had a, had a good time. Um, some good news for the congregation here. I did have one young man come up to me and say, Craig, I think you were the third best teacher at camp that we had. You want to know how many teachers there were out at camp? Uh, so, I mean, you guys are a pretty blessed group. Uh, as we're speaking about camp, John McMillan, why don't you just raise your hand real quick there. That's John McMillan. He's uh, the director of the 50-plus camp at Lake Kenosi up in, uh, near Saskat in Saskatchewan. Um, it's coming up August the 7th through 11th. So if you're 50-plus, want to go to a wonderful, beautiful country called Canada and enjoy camp up there, um, there's, that's this year, but then there's also every year they do that camp. So touch base with John uh, if you're interested at all in getting more information about uh, that camp. Uh, this Sunday is our fifth Sunday, and so we are continuing our, our kind of sporadic sermon series on preaching what we practice, taking an aspect or an element of what we do in our services, and just spending a little bit of time explaining and exploring why we take the time in our services, and what are the point, what is the point of some of those things that we do together. So when it comes to giving, uh, Adam Grant, who is an author, suggests that you can put people in one of three categories. And the first category is this, there are the takers. Uh, the takers in the world live by the words of Mark Twain who said, yes, I believe in the principle of give and take. A wise man will give one and take 10. The takers of the world are those who say the world is vicious, it is competitive, there's no such thing as a free lunch, and if you're gonna wait for anybody to ever give you anything, that's a help, hopeless endeavor. Givers will, or takers will sometimes give, but they will only do when it's in their advantage to do so. So if they skipped the corporate uh, fundraising activity last year and they got a lot of grief about it, then they're gonna participate this year, not out of generosity, but simply because that advances their own agenda. Then in addition to the takers, there are the matchers. They live by the code, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. And also the code, if you stab me in the back, I'll stab you in the back. They want to live in a world of reciprocity, of exchange, and all they want to do is to make sure that they balance and pay back things that they owe people. And then Grant says there's a third category of people. These are the givers. They live by the words in keeping with Jesus that it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. There are people who give things they know they cannot keep in order to gain things they know they cannot lose. They recognize that the world is indeed vicious and sometimes very competitive, and they also realize that generosity will go a long way in helping, 
and encouraging people. There are people who realize I have been blessed and because of those blessings, I wish to be a blessing to others. So this morning, what we want to explore is what it means for us as Christians to be givers. And I think that what we will find more than anything else that differentiates us from others as givers is our motivation in what we do with our practice of giving. Most of our sermon this morning is going to be focusing on 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. So if you want to have your Bibles open there, that's where we're going to be flipping around this morning. And so the foundation is we talk about giving. If you look at this section of Scripture, chapters 8 and 9 in 2 Corinthians, you're going to find that the word of significance that's repeated over and over again the most is the word grace. Paul will talk about giving in the context of grace. In giving, we imitate God. Those who have received grace are those who, through giving, pass it along. Paul will tell us that giving is an expression and a way of sharing grace with one another. And so here's just a few passages that help us to see this. 2 Corinthians 9, 14, the surpassing grace of God that he's given to you. And he begins this by talking, he says, we want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that has been granted to the churches in Macedonia. Grace itself is invisible. But grace must always make a point to become visible, something that is tangible and seen by others. When you talk about someone being gracious, there's in some way you have to point to something and say this is an example, an illustration, a representation that shows this person's graciousness. And so when Paul does that, he goes to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, is where he says, For you know the generous act of our Lord Jesus Christ. So where do we see that generosity? He says that, thro- that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. I think Paul is talking about both the birth of Christ, often referred to as the incarnation, and the death of Christ. That both of these are examples of Jesus leaving his richness, his abundance, lowering himself, first of all, to be made in the likeness of mankind, but then also lowering himself even more, being obedient to death, even death on a cross. That all those things show that though Jesus was rich, out of his grace, he gives to us, and out of his richness, then our poverty is filled with the richness of Jesus Christ. So if you were to put God in one of these categories, just with this short survey, do you think God is a taker, God is a matcher, or God is a giver? And Paul will over and over again in this section establish the fact that we are givers because God has given. And as people who recognize the graciousness of God, as we see God's generosity, we recognize there is a calling and a responsibility to pass that grace on to others. So Paul will write to them and say, now as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in utmost eagerness, and in love for you. So we want you to excel also in this generous undertaking. And that language, generous undertaking, the word behind that is just grace. He wants them to excel in the very kind of grace that they have received. Now as Christians, they are called to excel in that. So God's grace is not just additive, as in in terms of it adds something to our life. God's grace is a multiplier. God wants to see His grace that is shown to us to be multiplied in the ways that we relate to people, in the ways that we treat people, and even in the ways that we give to people. And Paul does remind us that God is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance, so that by always having enough of everything, you may share abundantly in every good work. 
God blesses us with grace. And he calls us then to pass it along. And what we realize is sometimes the grace we pass along is a grace that is in kind. We receive one kind of grace and we then share that kind of grace. And other times we recognize there's a storehouse of grace we've received by God. And the ways we pass it along may be different than the very kind of grace that we have received. When we give, we act like God by imitating his graciousness in our lives. Paul's going to use a lot of different words as he talks about giving, and I want us to just look at some of this language. And we're going to think about it like putting together a quilt. Each of these are going to be a piece of the quilt that when it's put together, we'll have a fuller understanding of what's involved in giving. So here's some of the language Paul will use in talking about giving. He will say that giving is an act of fellowship, depending on your translation, maybe sharing. Maybe you've even seen this Greek word around before, koinonia. Here's several passages that use that word koinonia. Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 8, 4, the privilege, which actually is the grace, the grace of sharing in this ministry to the saints. In 9.13, he talks about the generosity of your sharing with them and with all others. Romans 15.26, he talks about these churches who have been pleased to share their resources with the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. Giving is an act of fellowship. It is an act of sharing. I think the problem for us is today that we may have these different ideas or kind of constructs of what comes with sharing. When I think about sharing, I tend to think about a, a one-way street where I give up something in order for somebody else to get something. So if I'm playing with the truck and my mom says, Craig, share with your brother, that's bad news for me. And so I lose something and he gains something. But when we think about fellowship and in, in the way that Paul is using it and sharing in the way that Paul is using it, it's something that there's a true two-way street and it's for mutual benefit. So the image you might want to think of here is a, a, a little boy standing out in the yard and he's throwing up the ball in the air and he's catching his glove and he's throwing the ball in the air and he's catching his glove and somebody walks by and he says, can I play with you? And now he's got someone to throw it to and that other person's throwing it there. Both of them are enhanced. The, the richness increases because they are sharing, having fellowship with one another. And so we recognize this idea of fellowship. In fact, Everett Ferguson says, fellowship appears to have been Paul's favorite word for contributing. So when it comes time to co for contribution, Paul would say, what we are doing right now is we are sharing. We are engaging in fellowship together. And we realize there is this reciprocity. And so in that context, 2 Corinthians 8, 13 through 14, Paul says, I do not mean that there should be relief for others and pressure on you, but it is a question of fair balance between your present abundance and their need, so that their abundance may be for your need in order that there may be a fair balance. Paul is saying, for the moment you are called to play the role of a giver to the churches in Jerusalem because of your present abundance, and if the tables were ever turned, we would expect that they would then play the role of giver and you would be in the role of receiver. So there's a recognition that we are, as Christians, we are asked to play different roles at different times between being a giver and being a receiver. That's what happens where there's community. That's what happens where there's fellowship. But sometimes, most of us only play one of those roles, and sometimes we only do one of those roles well. Some of us are givers and do a poor job of receiving. Aren't there some people who, no matter how much of a, uh, what kind of a situation they're in, no matter how much they need some extra help, they won't ask for help. 
And Paul says these are interchangeable roles. Sometimes you need to learn. And there's some of us who I think need to learn that we need to learn to receive the kindness and the generosity of others. But some of us are takers. And we only ever play the role of taker. And as we think about this giving and we think about t- taking, think about it like the in-breath and the out-breath. You need both things. Imagine a person says, I'm just for the rest of my life, I'm only going to breathe in. That's not going to work. Eventually you have to breathe out. Or some people say, well, I'm, I'm just going to always breathe out. How's that going to work? Keep going, I'm going to pass out so I won't you know, illustrate the extent of how that would work out. But for some of us, we are always playing the role of a taker. I'm going to take this, I'm going to take this, I'm going to take this. Now, recognize the giving and the receiving is not always in kind. But I think all of us, no matter what our financial situation is, all of us, if we are creative enough, Paul's saying, we have something to give. And so we play the roles of both givers and receivers. That's what it means to be in fellowship with each other. Another word that Paul will use as he talks about and describes giving, he says giving is a ministry or a service. You might have recognized this Greek word before, diakonia. What does that sound like? Sounds like the word deacon, because a deacon is a minister, a servant, uh, involved in many different areas of service. So here's a couple of places where Paul uses this language. He talks about the privilege of sharing in this ministry to the saints. He says, now it is not necessary for me to write to you about the ministry to the saints. And he says, for rendering of this ministry not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also overflows with many thanksgivings to God. Paul says that one of the functions of a leader in Ephesians 4.12 is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And Paul is recognizing that ministry is an act of simply giving. And so when we take part of our contribution, part of what we're doing is we're all participating as ministers, ministering to one another. So there might be somebody here who would say this morning, say, well, I don't have a ministry in this church. Well, here's the good news. Every Sunday morning, there's an opportunity for you to serve and function as a minister of the gospel by doing what? In the act of contributing, we are playing the role of ministers. And Paul calls the congregation there to be ministers. Some other language that Paul uses about giving, he says giving is a priestly work. You see the Greek word there, it's going to sound like if you've heard the word liturgy, that's where the concept comes from. And this is a word that's really embedded within kind of uh, Jewish ritual practice. And Paul says, when we give, we're playing the role of a priest. So here's some language. And again, the English words don't represent this, but these are the words I have highlighted, the words that use this work of, of priestly service. For the rendering of this priestly service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also overflows with many thanksgivings to God. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them or to be a, work, do the work of a priest in material things. So the idea is this. When, when the priest would go and he would take a, a, an offering from someone and he would put that on the altar and they would hope that that gift would then be a sweet-smelling fragrance to God, Paul is saying that in the act of giving, we, we're functioning like priests who are putting our gift as an altar, and ultimately we know that it results in many thanksgivings to God. So Paul calls giving a participating in this act of priestly work. Paul will also say that giving is an act of blessing someone. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 5. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead of you 
and arrange in advance for this bountiful gift. The word behind that is the word blessing. To arrange in advance this blessing that you have promised so that it may be ready as a voluntary gift and not as extortion. A blessing is a benefit that is conferred on another person. Sometimes in the Bible that blessing can be verbal or sometimes that blessing can be done in the act of giving something to someone. In fact, that's James's concern in James chapter 2, verse 15 and following. He says, If a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, so this is the blessing that they would say, go in peace, keep warm, and eat your fill. James is saying it's insufficient sometimes to just offer a verbal blessing when more is needing. He says, and yet you do not supply their bodily needs. What good is that? So we don't just offer a verbal blessing on someone. Paul is saying that in the act of giving, we are actually blessing them for what we give to them. Or as 2 Corinthians 9, 6, again, I've highlighted the words that the underlying word is blessing here. The point is this, the one who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And the one who sows a blessing will also reap a blessing. So there's a blessing that is given in giving and receiving. And the final kind of concept that Paul uses and language that he uses about giving is he calls it a test or an opportunity to have visible proof of something. Starting in 2 Corinthians 9.13. Through the testing of this ministry, you glorify God by your obedience to the confession of the gospel of Christ and by the generosity of your sharing with them in all others. Or 2 Corinthians 8.8. 8. I do not say this as a command, but I am testing the genuineness the genuineness of your love against the earnestness of others. Paul says giving is an opportunity to test what is in the heart. And if there is, if there is love in the heart, then that love will express itself in the act of giving to someone. If a spouse were to say to you, oh, I just love you so much. I care for you so deeply. But every time their spouse says, can you help me with this? Can you be available for that? And you keep saying, no, no, no you will fail the test of love. Because if, if love is authentic and genuine, it will find its expression through acts of service. And so Paul says, when we give, what we are doing is we are giving a visible testimony of the fact that we love other people. Paul will conclude using this idea of a trial. He's going to say to the church in Corinth, he says, just so you know, the church in Macedonia has already passed this test. He says, for during a severe ordeal of affliction, the underlying word is during a time of trial and testing, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. They were, they were able to show, even in their poverty, that they really do love other people. And so as Paul discusses giving, he says giving is an expression of grace. It is an act of fellowship and of sharing. It is a ministry and a service we provide to others. It is a priestly work, it is a blessing, and it is a way to test and to show and authenticate one's love for other people. So what happens when we give? What's the outcome, the result of giving? 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 11 through, verses 11 through 12. You will be enriched in every way for your great generosity, which will produce thanksgivings to God through us. For the rendering of this ministry not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also overflows with many thanksgivings to God. Do you see who is blessed in the act of giving? There are three parties that Paul mentions benefits of giving. Paul mentions, first of all, you will be enriched. The giver himself or herself will be enriched and blessed through giving. 
Those who receive the gift, those who have their needs supplied, they are blessed and enriched through the act of giving. And Paul also wants us to be sure that we recognize thanksgivings are given to God. So God is enriched and God is blessed through the act of giving. We could call giving a win-win-win situation. Now, which of these are the most important? I'm not going to take the time to go through these verses so you can fact check me later. But in terms of numbers of times that it's repeated in this chapter, the first thing that Paul keeps coming back to over and over again is God gets the glory or God gets the thanksgiving. So, so what's the, the primary motive of why I engage in giving is I want to be a person who gives glory to God. I want to be a person who makes sure that God receives many thanksgivings. Then Paul says, in that case, you want to be a giver. The second thing that's repeated most often is that the needs of other people are met. Uh, if we're going to love God and we're going to love others, then Paul's going to say we're going to be engaged in giving because we're going to celebrate in the fact that we are meeting the needs of others. And that third factor, which is the seemingly the least important factor, is that I, as the giver, am enriched. And here's one of these kind of ironic truths that we find in Scripture. If you make that last thing, enriching yourself, your primary motive, you'll find at the end of it there's a dryness to giving. But if you do it for the glory of God and for the love of others, then at the end of it, you will find more satisfaction in participating in what Paul calls the grace of giving. So we have just a couple of minutes left, and I want to look at some nuts and bolts. Um, these might be the questions we often go to first, but here we're going to just check off a few boxes. How's that sound for terrible language? When did they give, and when should we give? I might need help with a slide here, unless my, uh... there we go. Now concerning the collection of the saints. Anytime Paul says the words now concerning, he's done it, I think this is his fifth, fifth time in 1 Corinthians, he's saying, I'm going to answer a question that you've asked. Okay, so it says, now concerning the collection of the saints, you should follow the directions that I gave to the churches of Galatia. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put aside and to save whatever extra you earn. So that the collections need not be taken when I come. And when I arrive, I will send any uh, whom you approve with the letters to take your gift to Jerusalem. And if it seems advisable that I should go also, um, they will accompany me. Well, what we do know is that the early church gave on what we would call Sunday. The, the language they use, first day of the week, sometimes you'll see the language of the Lord's day. But if we were to ask the question, why Sunday and must it be Sunday, maybe the answer is a little bit more complicated. Because any of these teachings you have in giving, I think, is a mixture of spiritually rooted teachings and pragmatic teachings. That there are some practical reasons why some of these instructions have been given in the ways that they have. Why in the world would they give on a Sunday? Well, those who are part of the pragmatic camp would say, well, that's because that's when everyone is there. That, that, that it's the time when people are coming together for worship. We know other things are happening. And so we recognize that Sunday is the day pragmatically that makes sense. Others will attach it to a more deeper theological or spiritual reason. That it's in worship we're celebrating and we're remembering all the grace that God has given to us. And that seems the most appropriate occasion for us to honor God by sharing in the grace of giving. As we've received, so also we give. Well, the good news is this. Whichever of those two routes you want to take there, you'll probably end up at the same destination. Sunday is a great opportunity for us to come together and give. The next question that seems to come up with giving is, is it something we must do or is it something that we can do? 
And once again, you're going to find a couple of different groups of people who have different thoughts here. Galatians 1.16, some will point out there are two direct instructions, commands that Paul gives. Um, and depending on your translation, it's going to use a stronger language or a weaker language. Mine uses a weaker, where Paul says um, that you should uh, follow the directions. Uh, some translations might say orders. Um, there, are, there are commands here that Paul is giving, but the word can be stronger or it can be weaker. And he's commanding them about what they should do. It doesn't come across in the New Revised, but there is a command about doing it. Arguments in favor of we should give because we can, not because we must. 2 Corinthians 8.8 8 says, I do not say this as a command, but I am testing the genuineness of your love against the earnestness of others. Or Paul has said, I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead of you, to arrange, arrange in advance this bountiful gift that you have already promised, so that it may be ready as a voluntary gift and not as extortion. Christians do not believe in extorting people for money. And so we recognize that there is command. There is also Paul saying, I can't command you to do it because it's going to take away uh, the significance and the purpose of it. So here's my conclusion to this question of uh, can or not. Actually, let me first address this. When you read, there is, Paul assumes they are going to give. Paul expects that they would give. Notice how he says it's appropriate for you to do this. And then he says, finish doing it. He's not saying, hey, either way, 50-50. He knows where they need to end up. So here's how I solve it. Something is off when we're not a giving people. There's something wrong if we're, if we're just not, as Christians, wanting to be a part of giving. But something is also off if the only reason we give is because we must. That Paul wants for our gift to be something that comes uh, voluntary and freely from the heart. Well, what should I give or how much should we give? Paul's going to use the Macedonians when he says, For I testify, they voluntarily gave according to their means and even beyond their means. Paul is then soon going to offer a corrective to that to make sure we don't take that to the wrong extreme when he says, For the, if the eagerness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. I do not mean that there should be relief for others and pressure on you but it is a question of a fair balance between you. So do you see there's these elements or ends in giving? So I broke it up in a way that maybe is easier to digest. First of all, there's safe giving. That's giving below your means. I mean, I could give you 20, but I'm just gonna give you five because I'm just that kind of a person. That's safe giving. And I don't think Paul is advising people towards safe giving. On the other extreme over here is destitute giving. I mean, I'm, I'm going to put my money in the church contribution and then you're going to see me out on a grand. Anybody got money for lunch because I haven't eaten in five days? Paul's saying, you don't give in such a way that it puts that pressure and burden on you to be destitute. What I do think Paul is teaching is sacrificial giving. Somewhere between safe giving and destitute giving is what Paul wants Christians to be a part of and to be involved in. And why, how should we give? Our final point here is each of you must give as you have made up your mind, not reluctantly, or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God wants us to be like him in the act of giving. And I want to just encourage everyone to take an opportunity this week to say, first of all, do I believe God is a giver, a matcher, or a taker? And then based on your assumption and your realization of God's generosity, to ask that question of yourself. Am I living my life like I am a giver, or a matcher, or a taker. And I hope our scriptures will show that God is calling us to be generous people, to be givers. 
Because when we give, God is glorified. The needs of others are supplied, and we will find that we ourselves will be enriched in the act of giving. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and give peace to you. May the Lord turn towards you and give you peace. And as we go from here, we know we go with the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, with the love of God, and with the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. We're going to stand and sing a song in just a moment. And as we do, if you have any kind of a need, I invite you to come to the back while we stand and sing this song together. Let's stand.